0: Okay, which in the Church Bible is on page 860. Uh, in the Old Testament, they used to stand up to hear the word of the Lord. So, why do we do that? Let's stand. And I'm just going to read verse. So, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 22. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic. Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you do suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Amen. Do you have a seat? So Peter starts this this section of of the letter by saying, finally, all of you. So here it is, I'm summing up, he says. And we've heard some really amazing uh, talks and, and explanations of verses that have gone before. Um, and part of that message has been this. You are living, Peter was speaking to, to the, uh, the Christians, uh, living in a difficult society, living in a difficult situation. And the kind of message of Peter, one of the messages of Peter is this. You're living in a difficult situation. It's really hard, you're being insulted, you're being persecuted. But here is the answer, here is how Christ wants you to live. And the kind of, the slightly staggering thing is this, that it isn't revolution. It isn't, uh, there's so much wrong with this society, let's take up arms, and in God's name let's violently change society in the name of God. Or even not take up arms, let's do some really radical things. Actually, there is revolution and there is radical behaviour, but it's in a subversive and a quiet way. And you might say, well, is that, is that really what's worked? And I think the answer is 2,000 years of the kingdom coming. So I want to pick up on, on some of those radical things which seem so quiet and so almost nothing that we just read through this passage and overlook them. And yet I think Peter is saying... Here is the key. If you want to live in a hostile society, if you want to live in a society that is against Christ, uh, that pours scorn on Christians, that pours scorn on, uh, on what we believe and hold true and hold dear, then here is the key to how to do that. And that kind of rings true, I think, a bit for our society, doesn't it? It feels like we're in a place where, actually, Christianity is scorned in the media. Uh, and in lots of the institutions and lots of the talk about Christianity is usually derogative um, and and we certainly don't get a great press. But I also want to put it into a bit of a practical uh, context for us and to do that I'm looking at this quote from Psalms and I just want to take the kind of principle that it it sets out for us as a way to anchor what I'd like to say and maybe to help us to kind of plough it into our lives this week. So if you read this, the, the soap from, uh, from Psalms, it says, Whoever would love life and see good days, and this is a bit I'd like to, to focus on, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. And for me, there's a kind of a, a, pin, a principle there, which I think we've, we've come across a few times, which is stop. Stop doing something. Turn and then pursue a different path. Okay? In the psalm, he says, stop, keep your tongues from evil and your lips from deceit. And ever, stop talking rubbish. Stop deceit coming out of your mouth. Turn and pursue. And have you heard that kind of language before in a different context? That's often used to describe something. Does anybody know what that is? Repentance. That's what the Bible calls repentance. Stop doing the wrong stuff, turn and pursue God. And I'd like to take that principle this morning um, and apply it to the things that Peter talks about are the key to living in this society. So the first one, and I read it, and it doesn't hit me in the face and stop me dead in my tracks, but it should. Okay? And I think we read it so, I read it so glibly, um, and yet here it is. Peter says this, Finally, all of you. Uh, That's quite kind of dramatic words. Listen, this is it. All of you. Are you listening? Here it comes. Here's the answer. Live in harmony. Yeah, 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 we know that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But where's the good stuff? Where's the stuff about, you know, Holy Spirit coming fire and da, da, da? No, no, no. Listen, all of you. Here it is. This is the answer. You want to live in a difficult society this is what you need to do. Live in harmony. I was talking to um, a, uh, a minister, another minister, and around about the time we were going through the, the leadership uh, things here. And um, we were having discussion about church leadership and what it looks like and strategy and da-da-da-da-da and where we're going. And he stopped me in my tracks, and I don't think he meant to, but halfway through, he said, and, and you know when you have those conversations and something somebody says just, you go, oh, oh right. <laughs> he said this. He said, Iron, unity is more important than strategy. And then he said, and this is the bit that got me, he said, actually, Iron, unity is the strategy. The unity in the church is the strategy. You can go off and do all these other wonderful things, but y- but unity is more important than strategy, unity is the strategy of the church. Now, in this wonderful church that we live in, uh, where we have so many denominations and, and groups and da-da-da, you think, well, we've kind of not done that great, um, okay, fine, but we can do that, we can do that. Let's, let's just gr- ground this in what Jesus says. Jesus said this in John 17, John 17, Jesus is praying, it's this massive prayer that Jesus speaks. He prays for loads of different things. He prays for his disciples at the moment. And then he prays for followers of Jesus that will come. And this is what Jesus says in John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, in other words, his current disciples, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That all of them, and this is Jesus' prayer, okay? this is his one prayer for us, Jesus Christ praying this. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unity of, of this people is going to be the signpost that the world believes that the Father sent the Son. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Powerful stuff, isn't it? That's Jesus Christ. That's his one prayer, that we would be one and we would be unified. Let's read back, go back to Peter. So suddenly these words that Peter lists maybe aren't a... A kind of oh yeah 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 this is how we live together. Maybe suddenly these words that Peter lists about how to be unified and live in harmony, we need to just think about them a little bit more carefully. Peter says this, verse eight, finally live in harmony with one another, and here's the list: be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Now, I just want you to take two seconds of thought. What does that mean for you in terms of living in unity for me? What does it mean to be sympathetic? How do you love me as if I'm your brother? I had my brother to say yesterday. You kind of think, yeah, whatever he does, it doesn't matter. He came... He was here for about an hour and a half and then he said, I've got to go and see another friend. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's been nice to see you. But you have to, but that, you love as a brother, don't you? Fine. You're my brother. You're my brother. I love you. Be compassionate. Be humble. Bless even when you're insulted. Oh, in the church, it's how so, insults are so much stronger than outside of the church, aren't they? Because we often couch it with God language. God says this, and you say that, and and actually, you're wrong, and not just you, but God says you're wrong. And when we hear that, do we bless? Do I bless? Going into chapter four, and I apologize for anybody who's going to speak next week, uh, but I'm not going to say much about chapter four, but again, he, he underlines this in chapter four in verse eight. He says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. And here's two other things he says about love in the church. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> Offer hospitality. Do it. Do it, it. Do it. Offer hospitality. And then secondly, he says, each one of you should use whatever gifts he's received. So I would say that, in, in, including the list in the beginning in verse 8, we can add, offer hospitality to each other, and release each other in your giftings. Easy. <clears throat> I also think, and this is me speaking, that we've been duped into thinking that we can do this unity stuff by sitting facing the front for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning with a quick cup of coffee afterwards, and possibly with a little m- weekly meeting, okay, where we often sit and don't really talk. We, we kind of do an English literature exercise on a, on a Bible passage. Okay? I actually think this takes time. If you look at the list, be sympathetic, love, be compassionate. All of that is sitting down together, isn't it? And spending time together. And I think there is something about that passage. I'm always, I'm always really challenged myself with the parable of the sower. When Jesus said, still, so, so the seed, we all know the parable of the sower, that the, 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 the farmer is, is throwing out seed, and, and different seeds, things happen to different seeds. And still other seed fell among thorns. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, And his desire for other things choked the word and made it unfaithful and unfruitful. And I think that's true about unity and spending time together. The busyness of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things will choke the unity of the church, will choke the fruitfulness of that unity uh, if we don't spend time together. I think it's really significant that this church is still together over the last four years. I think we've been through an incredible testing time where people could have spoken really badly about each other, where some difficult things have been said, but I think it's amazing that we're unified. And I want to sort of, I don't want this to be a thou shalt not, but isn't it amazing that we're all sitting around together still? Now, going back to that psalm, that the principles of that psalm were stop doing the wrong stuff, turn, and seek the right stuff. And so I actually want to stop speaking now and give you two or three minutes just to kind of let that sink in. In terms of the unity of the body of Christ, is there anything you need to stop doing is there anything that you need to turn? Is there, is there kind of areas that you need to turn in? Maybe in that list, in terms of being compassionate, loving as a brother, being humble, blessing when insulted, offer hospitality, or releasing others in their gifts. Is there anything you need to stop doing that's wrong or turn in your opinion and seek and start doing? And I'm going to give just a few minutes for us to think about that, and then we'll move on to something. Father, help us to pursue this stuff. Help us to To recognize that that the way that we point the world to this wonderful Savior, Jesus, is by our unity. And it's the easiest thing to slip up on. It's the easiest thing to talk badly about each other, to not spend time together, to not invite people around, to not repay insult with blessing. To not release others in their and It's the easiest thing to do, Lord. And yet you rank it right up there with what you want, how you want us to behave. Father, in, ter- in, in stopping, turning and pursuing, we repent and we say we're sorry when we've got it wrong. And equally, Father, we want to say thank you and blessings where we've got it right. pray, for Spirit, that you would challenge us on this uh, as, we, as we leave here today. Amen. <coughs> Verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. <coughs> do you remember when Christians were called do-gooders? Oh, you do-gooder, you. <coughs> do you know what? I don't hear that very much anymore. I don't hear Christians called do-gooders. And I kind of want to say to myself, if if Peter is saying, listen, if you want to get this right in society, if you want to usher in the kingdom in a subversive, quiet revolution that nobody's going to notice until in five years' time they're going to look around and go, oh, how did that happen? Suddenly the kingdom of God has arrived. If you want to usher this in, You need to do some good works. And I really, I I read that, I thought, it's kind of taken for granted that we're doing good works here. But I kind of look back on my week and think, I didn't really set it up to do loads of good works. I kind of set it up to do what I wanted to do, really. And hopefully along the way, there were some opportunities to do, do some good works, and hopefully I took them. But I didn't really think, what can I do that's really good this week? Ephesians, uh, when Paul's writing Ephesians, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. i read that again. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? To change the world, possibly. To heal, possibly. To do good works. Yes which God prepared for us in advance to do. And these good works, it says, aren't supposed to be for you to gain favour with people or your boss or your neighbour. They're just subversive good works. And even if you're insulted as a Christian, maybe called do-gooder, but even if you just get grief as a Christian in your daily place, it says here, do good works, do it, just keep doing it. And so, I want to really encourage you to do that. And just listening, even listening, overhearing, eavesdropping on conversations this morning, I know that lots of you are doing good works. You know, well done. Great. Keep going. Do more. It's amazing. Okay, you are subversively changing the world. There was a, I couldn't remember who it was. There was a, a, a guy who spoke here a few years ago. And uh, he said his picture of blessing, because it says in, in verse 8 that by, by blessing others, by uh, blessing, especially when people insult you, you'll receive a blessing. And I always remember this guy saying, for me, get, receiving the blessing of God is kind of like a shop front with two, um, two doors going into the shop. And you, you kind of go like on a, on a revolving pathway that you go into the shop and you receive blessing and you come out of the shop and you give that blessing away. And then you go back into the shop and get some more blessing. And that's kind of how the Christian cycle works, that by blessing others, you receive a blessing. And I like that. Um, So, yeah. So just think about good works this week. And maybe uh, I need to be a bit more of a a do-gooder. And we were going to stop and think about that, but maybe we'll do uh, uh, that in a minute. Because the last thing I want to say, is that, okay, does that make sense? Yes. Good. Uh, the last thing I want to say is we could go into loads of different bits in this passage, but the bit that really kind of stopped me was reading on, which says this. So we just read, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And for me, this is the verse. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And I want to just think about what that means. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. I found, and I don't know if you do, and if you don't, then that's great, and I'll feel very stupid. (laughs) I found that my tendency is to compartmentalize my life into blocks that I kind of control, kind of like boxes, um, and I'm kind of encouraged to do that, I think, by everybody else that I mix with. So in my life, there are kind of clear boxes. My job is one box that I kind of control. <laughs> my family is another box which I have no control over, but it, it is a box. Okay, it's kind of so. And, and kind of, I suppose, boxes also include time, don't they? So I spend this amount of time at work and this amount of time with my family, and then there's another box which I, you could call your hobby. I mean, you'd, you'd have different boxes to me. There'd be another box which, which might be sport, which for me is a very small box, very small box, but, but there's a, and then the really, the really kind of, the thing I slip into is that I then put church activities into a box of time and thought and the way it influences me, and I influence it. And then, I put Christ into a box. So Christ is another thing in my life. There's my work, my family, my hobbies, da-da, da-da, and Christ. And if you put Christ into a box, firstly, it's not Christ, because Christ doesn't fit into a box. Secondly, you become, your faith becomes actually a superstition. It becomes like an idol, like that Christ in a box. It becomes like an idol in the Old Testament, something that they made, and then suddenly they give it more power than it's worth. But actually, if we don't like it, we might do something a bit different. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, good. Not, nodding here would make me feel very happy. Um, <coughs> what I was challenged by in, in setting Christ apart is that the Christ in this passage and the Christ in the Bible is the Christ of verse 18. Have a look at verse 18 with me. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Christ isn't this Christ, the, the, the New Testament Christ, the Christ that I've experienced a bit, And I know you've experienced a lot of, isn't a Christ in a box. He's not a Christ who goes on rail tracks that you say, This is where we're going, Christ, and be lovely for you to come along with us. He's not a Christ that fits into a box in your life. He is a Christ that is the wants to be the foundation of your life. He wants to be a tree or a vine that grows up and, and goes through each of those boxes. And he wants to be the glory over the top of your life. That's the Christ of the New Testament. It's the Christ who says, because I died, because I was God, because I came to earth and gave up all that godness, because I faced a good work to do, which was to die for everybody on the cross, and I did it. And because in doing that, I was raised to life God the Father because I couldn't be held by death and because at the end of this passage I ascended in verse 22 to heaven to sit at God's right hand and because underneath me are angels and all authorities and all powers they all submit to me because that's the Christ I am I don't fit into a box in your life what I bring to you what I can offer you is a couple of things I can offer you authority over the cosmos. That's the power I hold. That's the power this Christ holds. And I have power, real power. And that power is the, is the power that will help you to stop, turn, and to seek me. Because actually, if you try and do it on your own, you'll just end up trying to, in a sort of self-help program, and it ain't going to work. But I can offer you, says this Christ, not only the authority to say you need to do this, but the power to help you do it. So in stopping, turning and seeking Christ, we can call that redemption. But Jesus says, I will empower you to do that. And what I'm looking for are people who want to set me apart in their lives, set me apart in their boxes. And I was really challenged by this, do I set Christ apart in the box of my job? And I've tried, I've been trying to do it. This is the worst thing about speaking in church, is that you realize that actually this is mainly aimed at you, and who are you to stand up in front of this amazing gathering of Christians, uh, because actually you're you're the one who's messing it up more than, than them. And so, how do I set Christ apart in my job when I meet that student, when I go into that leadership meeting, when I talk about that strategy, is Christ a part of that or not? Is he able to speak into that situation or not? Oh, yes, he could speak into justice issues and he could speak into leaning towards the poor issues. Yes, you're right. But actually, he can speak into teaching a lesson issues. He can speak into leading a school issues. He can speak into being in an office issues. He can speak directly in that. Why? Because he's got the power and the authority to do that. What about the box of my family? How do I set Christ apart? How do I make him so he's not a box but actually he is that christ the one that goes below the one that goes through the one that empowers the one that sends his spirit the one that has the glory how does that what does that look like in my life how do i set christ apart in my marriage not in terms of oh yes you know we can submit to your Now, how do i actually do that how do i actually make christ the glorified one in my marriage how do I make him the glorified one in my being a dad? To, to two gorgeous kids, crazy kids. But how do I set you know how do I practically do that? How do I set Christ apart when my brother turns up and then and then <laughs> nicks off after half an hour? What how do I do that? How do I share that? How do I set Christ apart in that? How do I set Christ apart in my hobbies? How do I set Christ apart in my sport? How do in my downtime? in my television time, in my online time, in my whatever time. And I'm kind of going to shut up in a minute. Um, but I want you to think about that um, now, rather than think, oh yes, that was all very jolly. Um, so let's just have a pray, and and then let's just have a bit of quiet, uh, and let's ask Christ into that. <coughs> Christ, what I was trying to say is that you're amazing and bigger than any box of of a concept that I can grasp in my head, of an experience that I can have, that in dying on the cross, this, this gong sounded in history which just reverberated and got louder and louder through eternity and that changes the entire cosmos that redeems it. Christ what I was trying to say was you are worthy to be glorified and you're worthy to be set apart. And yet what I really want Jesus is for us to know what that looks like this afternoon and tomorrow morning. Because I get I can easily talk the religious language Jesus but I want to know how I set you apart. And so I pray for my friends here as we, as we kind of grapple with this stuff. I'm aware that some people come into church and whatever they hear, hear condemnation. And yet you say, Jesus, that I... I, I hold those, those broken reeds I, I hold them back together again and those those lights that have been sort of snuffed out and are just, just smoking I, I breathe life into those those people who, who feel like they're really rubbish but are in Christ you, you speak encouragement to them Jesus and so speak encouragement now Holy Spirit to those people speak encouragement about how to be unified in this body and how to set Christ apart as Lord and how to do good works and lift lift condemnation off them because that's not of you. We know that. Jesus, I know there's other people like me, really, who often come in and are quite proud and are quite sure of themselves. And I'd ask you, Lord, to... Uh, just confront them with who you are, your holiness, and your huge call on their lives. You'd highlight, Holy Spirit, you would shine a light on areas where we, n- we need to stop what we're doing in terms of being unified, in terms of good works, and in terms of setting Christ apart. That you would confront us with where we need to turn, even in those kind of... Um, rusty peg situations where we're so setting our ways and yet those rusty things need to turn and where we need to run after you not just not just face you but seek you and pursue you so Holy Spirit my prayer in in Jesus name is that you would minister to us now that you would encourage that you would speak words of change that you would speak words of admonishment or tell us where we're not getting it right. And into that place, Holy Spirit, I pray the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power and the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you would do spiritual business here this morning, Holy Spirit, which brings the glory to Jesus. So as we just sit maybe silently for uh, five minutes, I pray that you'd start you start that thought process in us. You'd help us to pray in these things. You'd help us to reflect on ourselves with God goggles on, with God eyes, not with our eyes. That we'd hear the whisperings of your Spirit speaking to us. We want to be unified as a body. So we point to Jesus Christ, we want to do a people we want to be a people who do good works. And above all, we want to be a church and a group of individuals who in every aspect of our being, set apart Christ as Lord, because he's work.